So according to a study done several years ago, they found that over 90% of readers will read the PS, or postscript, for those of you young, younger folks who may not know what PS is, before they read the letter itself. Well, these last six verses of 1 Thessalonians are similar to what you might see in a PS of a letter written today. And I always have to turn in the sermon title um, and along with the scripture references, usually Thursday night. And I have, I'm never really done with my sermon, okay, until Saturday night. So the title that I gave um, Tracy was Paul's Closing Remarks. It covers, covers everything we're going to talk about. But I thought about titling it, P.S., I Love You. A little cheesy, but you'll see why uh, as we get looking at the text. Let's stand with, uh, with me, if you would. Um, we're going to read 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 through 28. If you don't have your Bible, there's one in the pew. It's on page 1258. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Brothers, pray for us. Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the brothers. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. Thank you. You can be seated. So there's five points this morning. I'm going to give them to you one at a time because I know when I'm sitting there, I try to write all five down, and then I end up getting uh, distracted. But five points. First point, be sanctified completely. Be sanctified completely. This is in verses 23 and 24. And this really is the biggest as far as the amount of time we're going to take to look at this. So it says in verse 23, Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. So this phrase, the God of peace, is a phrase that Paul used in several other locations in Scripture. Twice in the book of Romans, once in 2 Corinthians, once in Philippians, and, of course, here in 1 Thessalonians. There's one other place that I found it that I thought was interesting, and that's in the book of Hebrews. And you may be aware that we don't know exactly who the author of Hebrews is, so I guess I kind of stumbled along some evidence as to why people think Paul wrote Hebrews. So what exactly does Paul mean when he refers to God as the God of peace? Well, here's a couple of thoughts. One, God brings about real and everlasting peace. And without making peace with God, no one will ever experience true, real peace. Because you will always be at odds, you will be at war, or an enemy of God unless you are at peace with Him. The second thought about why 
Paul may have used this phrase, God of peace. I think maybe because there is a continual conflict between the Jewish believers and the Gentile believers. Paul was a Jew himself, but he was a missionary and a church planner to the Gentiles primarily. And he was regularly combating some of this rift between the Jewish and the Gentile believers. So, possibly he, he used this phrase as a way to encourage that God is a God of peace. And there needs to be peace between all believers. Paul says, may the God of peace himself sanctify you. The Greek word for sanctify here is hagiazo, which means to make holy. And to be holy is to be consecrated, to be set apart to be blameless. Before we go any further talking about this word sanctify and sanctification, I just want to point out that Paul uses that word and not justify. Because his audience is already a group of believers. You see, at the moment of salvation, you are justified. You are rendered innocent and regarded as righteous because of the finished work of Christ on the cross. Justification is often defined as just as if I've never sinned. So Paul didn't say justify, he said sanctify. So everything we're about to discuss around this word sanctify is with regard to someone who is already a believer becoming holy or more like Christ. If you recall back in chapter 4, Paul used this word sanctification twice. If you flip back to 4 verses 3 and 4, we actually read it this morning already, for this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor. This word holiness and the ESV is actually translated as sanctification in the New American Standard. So they are really the same word. Paul was reminding the Thessalonians that it was the will of God for them to pursue sanctification. Well, what did he say next? That you abstain from sexual immorality. So we see that there is a personal responsibility placed upon them to do something or not to do something in this command in order to pursue sanctification. We tell our children many things. Some are do's and some are don'ts. And as, uh, our, as parents, we see the responses to the do's and don'ts in a very black and white manner. They either are either obedient or disobedient. It's God's will that we are sanctified, but we have to be obedient to his word if we are in fact going to be sanctified. In Jerry Bridges' book, The Pursuit of Holiness, he says, it is time for Christians to face up to our responsibility for holiness. Too often we say we are defeated by this or that sin. No, we are not defeated. We are simply disobedient. 
God provides the ability and the power to be sanctified, but we have to be obedient to his word. Paul wanted to see the Thessalonian believers to be sanctified entirely, or completely, or as we might say, 100%. He did not want to see them holding back areas of their life from God's sanctifying work. Many Christians struggle with this temptation. They will give God certain portions of their life and keep back areas they are just not willing to surrender to God's control. Let me ask you, what are you holding back from God this morning? Is it your finances? Is it your time? Is it some form of sexual immorality? Maybe it's bitterness or pride, materialism. It could be any number of things. If you desire to be blameless when the Lord returns, then you and I will have to submit to the Lord whatever area that he's bringing to your mind right now. Surrender to God whatever you are holding on to. If you're unwilling to surrender these things, it just simply means that we are enslaved to them and they are an idol in our hearts. Be sanctified completely. 100%. Don't hold anything back. Turn the page too soon. Paul goes on to say, and may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless. The very first thing that we learn about in Scripture is the creation, the creation account. In Genesis 1.27 it says, And God created man in his own image. In the image of God he created him. And it goes on to say in verse 28 that man will rule over the earth and the rest of creation. So, just as a reminder, we are not like the rest of creation. We were created in the image of the triune God, and we have a spirit and soul, as Paul reminds us in 1 Thessalonians. And so, continuing this phrase in verse 23, may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless. Paul is still talking about their sanctification. He desires to see them become more like Christ. And the more like Christ we become, the less we sin and yield ourselves to our sin nature. Now, I went to a very conservative Christian college that had very strict rules. And I remember the president of the college, who has now passed away, he was a man of few words. But I do remember him addressing the student body and telling us that he wanted to provide an environment in which the students could lay their head down at night with a clear conscience. And basically what he was getting at was that the rules in place help the students not to do things they would regret. He desired to see the student body kept blameless by not making it easy for us to fall into the many sins and temptations that college students face. Now, there are many who fault the school for being too strict, but I am thankful for the restraints that were placed on me when I was there. 
So may your whole spirit and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul reminds the Thessalonians that Jesus Christ is coming again. This is both encouraging and convicting. This is encouraging to know that one day Jesus Christ will return as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and all of this struggle that we face will be over, and he will make all that is wrong right. On the other hand, this is also convicting when we are reminded that the Lord is coming again, because what will the Lord find you doing when he returns? The famous theologian and preacher, Jonathan Edwards, said he was resolved never to do anything which I would be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. So in those moments of temptation, ask yourself, if the Lord returns right now, or if I perish, will he be pleased with me? Verse 24, he who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. If you are saved here this morning, then God called you to salvation. And if he called you unto salvation, then he will be faithful to sanctify you completely. What has the Lord given us to aid in our sanctification? His word, his Holy Spirit, his church, and other believers. Paul is reminding these Thessalonian believers that God called them to himself, and because he did that, he would finish the work that he began in them. 1 Corinthians 1.9 says, God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. God is surely faithful. That was point number one. They're not all that long. Point number two, verse 25. Pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. Brothers, pray for us, verse 25 says. Our pastor needs our prayers. If you were here about four or five weeks ago, our pastor stood up here in the pulpit with tears welling up in his eyes and he asked us to pray for him. Anybody remember that? It was a very low attendance Sunday and his heart was discouraged and he needed our prayers. And no doubt, many of, if not all of us, who were here prayed for him. And he got the strength he needed to preach. Well, he needs our prayers more than just on those occasional moments like that Sunday. He needs our prayers all week long. I want to challenge you, church family, to, to make, a, make a commitment to pray for Pastor Chad every day. It doesn't take but a few moments. Just two weeks ago, when Pastor Chad was preaching in verses 12 and 13 about how we can honor um, our pastors, he told us one way to show him love was to pray for him. Has anyone ever said these words to you? I've been praying for you. 
Does that encourage you to know that someone cared enough to lift you up in prayer? Find time to lift your pastor up in prayer. Just last night I was preparing this sermon and I received a text from a church member telling me that they were praying for me. And I had another one this morning from our pastor saying that he was praying for me. And I know there were others that were praying for me that may not have contacted me. The point is, I knew that people were praying for me and we need to pray for our pastor. Point number three, greet the brethren. Verse 26, 26 says, Greet all the brothers with a holy kiss. I'm going to be completely transparent with you this morning. I've struggled with how exactly to preach this verse. But here it is. It's not complicated. You see, during Paul's time and in that culture, it's not unusual, it was not unusual, to greet someone with a kiss on the cheek. Man to man, woman to woman. Paul was simply communicating a message to the Thessalonians that we would probably say this way. Hey, I love you guys. Give everyone a hug for me. Which is why I thought about titling the sermon, P.S. I Love You. That's it. So why is it hard for some people? I honestly don't know, but I am one of them. I have to make a conscious effort in this area. There's, but there is something about physical contact that can communicate what words cannot. There is something about giving or receiving a hug that communicates a love for your brother. But notice that Paul qualifies this with the word holy. And since we've already defined holy, we know that this is to be done in a pureness and in a blameless manner. So I will just say this. If you cannot do it in a holy manner, my suggestion would be to stick with handshakes and hellos. Because the holiness of the thing is the priority. Last, uh, or not last point, point number four, verse 27, preach the word. Preach the word. Verse 27 says, I put you under oath before the Lord to have this letter read to all the, belie- to all the brothers. Paul wanted this letter read to all the Christians in Thessalonica. He wanted everyone to hear his words of thanksgiving for them, the defense of his ministry, the exhortation unto sanctification and love of the brethren, the comfort regarding those believers who had died, and the charge to be ready for the day of the Lord. And, as we heard last week, the instructions for Christian conduct. Paul may not have fully comprehended his role in the full canon of Scripture, but he did know that his words had apostolic authority from God. And we actually see that here in this very letter, back in chapter 2, verse 13, where he says, And also, and we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. So he wanted all the believers to benefit from the letter, just as you and I are benefiting from this letter today 
2,000 years later. Because it is the inspired word of God. Point number five, last point. Verse 28 says, well, point number five is grace to you. Grace to you. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. This phrase, or a very similar version of it, is used by Paul in the conclusion of all of his letters. This was his sincerely, his yours truly, best regards. This was his way to end his letters. But the key word in all of this is the word grace. What is grace? Well, I always remember it this way. Grace is getting something that you don't deserve. And if I had to pick one word to summarize my life as a follower of Jesus Christ, it would probably be this word, grace. I need the grace of God each and every day. So maybe that's why Paul wanted to conclude all of his letters with this genuine desire to see the grace of God bestowed upon their life. So in closing, let me ask you a question. Have you ever responded to the gospel message of Jesus Christ? You heard me talking about God calling us unto salvation, but maybe you have no idea what that means. Respond today to the good news of the gospel, that God sent His only Son to die on the cross for your sins. You see, God is holy and perfect, and our sinfulness has created a great chasm or a great gulf between God and us. But the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross paid the debt of sin that we cannot pay. And Jesus bridged that gap. And 2 Corinthians 6.2 says, Behold, today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not on your deathbed when you've spent your whole life doing what you want to do and are trying to get into heaven by the skin of your teeth. If you've never repented of your sin and surrendered your life to the Lord, I encourage you to do that today. You can come see me or Chad Dickert or Richie Warren or maybe one of these ladies after the service and we'll sit down with you and we'll go through God's plan of salvation. Romans 10.13 says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you for the message of the gospel. I ask you to sanctify us completely. Help us to surrender all areas of our life to your control. We ask you bring Pastor Chad and his family home safely this week and that he will come back refreshed and encouraged to shepherd this flock. We thank you again for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.